everybody. What is going on? It's Jeff, and welcome back to the Choose Awareness Podcast. This is the second half of a longer conversation I had with some friends way back before Christmas. So if you haven't already listened to the episode titled An Honest Conversation with Generation Z Part 1, you'll probably want to go back and listen to that first. This one is going to pick up right where that one left off, with Lauren, Christina, Kevin, and Clay all sharing their personal reactions to injustices we all witnessed in 2020, as well as even some tangible and practical things they felt compelled to do in response. So if you're someone who likes to take action and wants to, but isn't quite sure where to start or what to do, hopefully you'll appreciate their suggestions. Plus, I think they're all things that everyone can do, whether you're a teenager or someone in your 60s. And that's the thing. I believe so much of what they had to say has the potential to be relevant and helpful to anyone, no matter your age or circumstance. For instance, you might not think of yourself as someone who stresses over how many likes or followers you get on social media, but I'd be willing to bet that the feelings and interactions they describe could also depict how you do or don't talk to some people. It might depict how you choose to engage or not engage with people. And I'm sure we can all relate to the thoughts and concerns when it comes to cancel culture. Because regardless of whether it's an Instagram or Facebook post, a text message or a phone call, or even a face-to-face conversation, I'm sure we all know what it feels like to be nervous, hesitant, or even unwilling sometimes to have those hard and uncomfortable conversations. So like I said, no matter your age or circumstance, my hope is that you can take away something encouraging and helpful from what they shared. All right, let's get to it. Lauren, you still have me fired up about your talks of loving everybody, of treating everybody as equals. And it makes me want to say, what if we spend the rest of our time then, I'm going to throw just a whole bunch at y'all and y'all just respond to whatever sticks the most. But clearly this year has been different with the things that I've seen posting on social media. Clearly something happened this year, whether it's with respect to racism, to social justice, to inclusivity, to so many things that I would say some of you have been bold enough to post things you probably wouldn't have posted before this year. So what is it that you think made this year different? What have you learned? What have you seen? What have you experienced? What have you decided when it comes to racism, social justice, inclusivity? And then even what are the conversations you're having with your friends or your family? Have you had any hard ones or had to cut somebody off or... Have you stood up for something that was hard to do? I don't know. All these things. What's 2020 been like? Hard. It was really difficult. I mean, I'm probably the least, you know, of course, I'm just a white young adult. You know, I'm sure it was so much more painful for these communities directly impacted by mainly just the racial, you know, violence that happened with the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And I just, I just wanted it to end, you know, like I, uh, I remember sitting like in my room reading about these just horrible tragedies that had no place and shouldn't have happened. And they did. And all I was wondering was like, honestly, why, why is this happening on a much more kind of like spiritual level? I was wondering, you know, like, why is there this silence, you know? That's how I felt. And we, me and my family, we had some really good conversations, I think. We all learned a lot, I think, over the summer, just in evolving our thought and hearing from lots of different other people, too. Um, something that was really, I guess, good for me, it was good, is I, like, I didn't know how to react. I didn't know what to say. And 
after George Floyd died, was murdered, um, I texted a bunch of my African-American friends. I was like, guys, like, I, I don't know what to say, but I am, I'm just so sorry. And like, sorry is not going to cut it. I know that. But like, I can't fathom what this is like. And one of my good friends who he was a pledge brother of mine at Georgia, um, he texted me like the most reassuring thing anybody has said to me. And like during that season was, and maybe this is kind of little monster under my bed of like, okay, he affirmed me so I could like tap out and nothing was wrong. But he said like, you don't have to know what to say. You know, like you don't have to have the right answer, but just being aware of this and acknowledging that this is happening and acknowledging like its impact on me, you know, that means so much more than like what you imagine. And that gave me a lot of like peace in that moment. Just, I didn't, I don't have to know what to say, but just that empathy and saying like, I, I, I can't understand this. There is an inherent bit of me that is never going to be able to understand this and part of me wishes I could give that away but I can't you know just the way my life is and the way I you know am (laughs) I guess but that was a really reassuring and then I guess on a more spiritual level like if I can um like these are this is something I was struggling a lot with too is these are like really deep-seated issues with people and with mankind and as a society like we we need to do all that we can to fix it but it's almost disheartening to know that I don't know if it'll ever go away you know like injustice is never gonna go away and racism sadly is just never going to fully go away because that's the nature of us that's the nature of this world that we live in and it's sad it's really sad to think about that and you know the answer when people say like well what what is the answer you know i guess a simple way to put it is a band-aid isn't going to fix a disease you know and this is a disease that honestly it can only be cured by like the unity that jesus brings us and unfortunately that's just like not what our world wants to hear we want to know like these solutions that we can take and, you know, these actions that are going to fix it. And yes, there are so many things that we as a society can do for each other and serve each other. And that will hopefully, and I, I really hope remediate some of these deep seated tensions, but at the end of the day, we're not going to find it in each other. The ultimate solution is not going to be in each other. The ultimate solution is going to come from understanding like who Jesus is. And so that was, I guess, a really big development that I had in my head. But at the same time, that doesn't excuse, especially Christians, that doesn't excuse us from not taking steps and not doing anything to help remediate these tensions. You know, if anything, that empowers us more to say we should be doing more because this is our job. You know, like the earth isn't going to get better. We know that mankind is messed up. But like, that's the whole point of us being Christians is to help like mediate how bad it is and make it as good as we can make it, you know? And when it comes to this incredibly relevant moment of racial inequality and racial tension in our country is we need to be approaching this from a Christ-centered perspective, but still acting 
you know, and still reaching out in love and in unity and help bridging these big gaps. And, you know, a lot of that I'm sure sounds like very big thought stuff, you know, and it's really easy to spout out big thought stuff. And it's not the easiest thing to hear. A lot of the times we like to have these solutions, these steps that are going to have tangible conclusions, but it's just kind of how I felt. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I, when I was preparing for this talk, was really having a thought, you know, hard thoughts with myself. And I was like, how do I talk about the issues in the world without the solution that I know that's the only real solution? And, you know, personally, you know, I was thinking, you know, you could do a million programs, you can make a million policies, and it still wouldn't solve the problem of the human heart and its needs. And, you know, we have a need to be valued. And so when somebody's not valuing you the way you should be, there's pain. And it's really hard when you're on the other side of that pain and can't fully relate. And so what do you do? You know, you have to have humility. You know, so then we try to beat ourselves up and we're like, be humble, be humble. Don't be prideful. Try to put yourself in their shoes. We smack ourselves. And the other day, I felt like God was showing me something because, you know, I'm trying to fight that pride thing. He's like, no, no, no. The way that you actually get rid of pride isn't by like smacking yourself and telling yourself to fix yourself and like constantly just looking and trying to rearrange. It's a human-centered perspective, you know. It's never really going to get you anywhere if you look at Jesus, if you look at his life, if you look the way he lived it. Realize that it's possible. Realize that if he's in you and he's empowering you to live that way, that's the only way I'm going to actually become humble because my eyes are up here rather than at myself. Because then if I'm trying to fix myself, it's just so prideful. I'm still like, I'm trying to fix myself for the sake of self. That doesn't work. You know, we love social justice, you know, and I have so many friends who have been horribly hurt by everything that's happened. And it's so difficult to look at and, and you know how do you respond to that what do you say and at the end of the day if I am looking at people from the way Jesus looks at people that's the only way I can really have the heart that can be soft enough to actually be there to catch what they're saying because otherwise it's easy to get defensive You're like well I, I don't I'm not like that I didn't say that so I'm good it's really easy to check off boxes of like oh I'm not a racist because check 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 but it's ignoring your heart. It's just like going to church and doing all the checks boxes. But if you don't actually know Jesus and know his heart for you, it's really easy to just play church. Just like you can play not racist. You can just kind of play the role. Make, you know, do the post on Instagram. You're like, yeah, I hate racism. But at the same time, I feel like it's only when we really look at Jesus and he humbles us to be like, if he could serve the feet of his disciples, if he could wash their feet, then what can I do right now with my neighbor you know, it, it's like you said, it, it's so it's so simple, like sending a text, Clay, I think is so beautiful. Just like, just the simplest action, you know, from the heart of Jesus, not from a heart of how do I make people think that I'm not a racist? Because that's a self-centered view. You know, it's not just about what people think about you. It's like, what do you actually think about people? What's in your heart? And that's not a shame thing. That's a, hey, God really wants to work with you on this. And he wants you to learn how to love people like he does. And disciple and follower does not mean be into submission, like you suck, get better. It means, hey, you're a lifetime learner and it's okay to be humble and listen and figure it out with God. That's how we figure it out, you know? And so that's the only way I've been able to figure out like <laughs> these issues of how to, how to go about them is listening to my friends who are people of color, 
giving them that space and not trying to be their answer. Because if I'm trying to fix their problems or you know, myself, it's messy. <laughs> just being real, it's messy. I don't have the answers. So yeah, I just want to applaud you for that. I'm really, that's awesome that you actually reached out. And I think that means more than you even realize. Yeah, this past year has been a very uh, stretching, learning, growing year for me. And I think in the past, I was like, I'm not invited to engage in these conversations or issues on race because I am a white Christian woman. So I should instead listen, I should read, I should learn. And I almost like excused myself from having to like speak or take a stand or do anything because I was like, oh, I don't want to take up space. And it really, it wasn't until in like our scholarship group chat, like right after George Floyd's death that some of my friends were like, why is nobody speaking up right now? Why is nobody like taking a stand like with us? Like you say that you're our friends and like, oh, that we're your brothers or sisters, but like you're silent right now. And that was like a huge moment for me because I felt invited into the conversation to speak, even if it was imperfect. And I've felt very challenged to do even more than just like text, because I think text is like a great thing. And honestly, I've been like daunted by how big and deep this problem of like systemic racism is, especially in our country. And I'm like, how in the world do I, does anything that I do like make a difference? How can I chip away at policies? Like how can I do the work of being in organizations or like reading books or learning more as well? Um, and I think like I, yeah, there was a lot of like despair <laughs> over the summer and being like, dang, this is so big and I don't know what to do. And then I have to like go back to Clay, what you said, like almost this grassroots approach, bottom up approach, instead of just being so daunted by like things at the top institutions and things and being like, okay, what like actual steps can I do? Like writing senators and like other specific things. And honestly, I was really challenged in my faith over the summer as well, because I was like, dang, I feel like people are giving me a handbook right now on Instagram and stuff for how to be a good person, how to care for my neighbor well and protect them from this disease of COVID by wearing masks or by doing these things, how to stand up for systemic racism by doing these readings, signing these petitions, like writing these letters. And then I was like, dang, Jesus wasn't just a good person. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And so I'm like, as a Christian, in the spaces that I'm in, like, how should my life be looking different and like reflecting, mirroring that of Jesus's? And I wanted more resources from the church or from Christians on like, hey, Christina, like, you want to fight this? Like, you have this energy? You want to stand up for your brothers and sisters? <laughs> like, here's what to do. And I still feel like I'm seeking that out now, like, especially coming home from school, having a break. And 
not being occupied by just like putting out the normal fires of my life. And I think even in the past two weeks, like thinking about Christmas and things, I'm like, okay, I have a background in entrepreneurship. I have this awareness of like behavioral economics and consumption patterns. Like I want to be really intentional about how I'm spending my money and supporting like local black entrepreneurs or businesses or things like that. I'm like, okay, Christina, that is an actual step that you can take today in hoping to chip away at this. But yeah, that's been, this has been a year. You did write some letters. Who was it? Your local congressman or? Uh, David Perdue and Kelly Lockler, the senators. What did you say in those letters? Were they petitions or uh, templates or no, they were your letters. No, they were, they were my letters. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to come up with the silver bullet policy that I'm going to tell these senators of what to do to fix this. But I honestly, I talked about my black brothers and sisters who I love and I shared their names. I shared my person, like a few personal stories with them And I was like, I do not want this reality that has met Ahmad, that has met George, that has met Brianna to meet them. And I'm like, I am not going to be present at this person's funeral thinking, oh my gosh, I should have done something or used my privilege (laughs) to fight for them because I love them and care about them so much. And I'm like, You know, and I I don't feel like any action that I take will actually ever meet me at like this finish line point of like, oh, wow, I have done enough. But it's like I I care about these people so much and I like would go to sleep at night over the summer, like thinking about them. And I'm like, Christina, you have to you have to do more. (laughs) And so I wrote my senators. So much respect for you for doing that, honestly. And sharing that on Instagram, I was like, I do not want this to be like (laughs) an applause thing. Like, oh, well, look what I've done. But I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, I need people to tell me what to do. Like, because I want to do things. And I'm like, this is a very tangible thing. That's like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, it's not earth shattering, like what we were talking about earlier, but it's something, something is better than nothing. Especially when I have real people in my life who I care about so much who are dealing with these realities that I've never had to think about like ever in my life. Well, it's really hard to follow talking about writing to our senators now with what I was going to (laughs) say, but Christina just hit on a point earlier with, you know, using Instagram to learn what we can do. Cause I mean, honestly for me and probably for most of us here, you know, in our positions in life, it was a struggle in 2020 to fully feel like, in the shoes of the communities that we're going through stuff other than just seeing it happen, you know, seeing it on the news, hearing about it on social media. It's like, that is sad. Yeah. And, you know, I wish that hadn't happened, but it's, uh, and Clay hit on this, like, we'll never know what that's like and we'll never fully understand what that's like. So it's just, for me, it was just like, what do I do? Like, yes, I'm feeling bad for them. Like, what can I do? How do I even like begin to address the situation? Do I even bring it up with my friends who are, you know, people of color or, those that have been affected or have actually experienced racism in their lives like because i truly don't know is that something that they want to be brought up like do they want to have a conversation with me who has never experienced that i mean is that just going to be like 
coming in as a savior, riding my horse and, you know, trying to save the day because I can't, I know that's for sure. <laughs> so um, I was just trying to say like, it's, it's been a struggle understanding truly, you know, putting myself in their shoes and figuring out what to do. But I think the community as a whole, like the definitely in our generation, because that's, you know, who I'm connected with on social media really came together in terms of like learning petitions to sign and, and sharing them and making them postable. So, you know, they could just spread like wildfire and, and I think, Jeff, you mentioned this a second ago, like templates for letters that you would write to your senator. All you have to do is like put your name on it and, you know, write your senator's name on it. So, you know, it's just it's ready to go. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a year <laughs> and I know we all know that. Um, so it, it sounds very like obvious to say that, but it's just um, for me, it's been a great learning experience. And uh, oh, this is another point I wanted to make getting out on your own is such a good time to learn because I haven't lived on my own and, and not lived with somebody until almost two months ago, you know, when I bought my own place. And now I'm like, I am my own roommate. I've always either had, a, you know, an actual roommate or my parents because I lived with them after graduation up until I moved into Atlanta on my own. So even just the last two months, it's like, you know, I only have my own thoughts to myself. So I have time to like digest them and, and research and look at stuff on social media and it's not clouded by other people, uh, which I mean, other perspectives are good, but sometimes they can cloud your judgment or, you know, like try to overbear what you want to think about. So it's been a good time to learn and hopefully be able to, you know, in the future address issues better or, or more informed. My last thought also is I think it's, better to speak imperfectly than to not speak at all because I was like I just felt so ill-equipped and I was studying abroad in London before COVID sent me back before the events of summer 2020 unfolded and in London I picked up a copy of White Fragility and just started reading it at the bookstore across from my apartment didn't even buy the book but kept going back and like reading chapter after chapter and then over the summer when people were looking for resources, I put on my Instagram story like a picture of white fragility on Amazon that people could like swipe up and buy it. And in it, I was like, oh, like here's a resource for POC, like people of color, blah, blah, blah. And I had someone swipe up on my Instagram story and they're like, are you aware that black people are not actually included in POC? It's like B-I-P-O-C. And I was like, oh my gosh. In that moment, I had this wave of like, fear and it's like oh christina you like failed you've messed up all this stuff and i'm like literally it's not about me and i'm like okay <laughs> i'm learning and that's better than just like sit, sitting in my comfort of like privilege <laughs> and silence and like i i want to be you know an imperfect advocate than just like insulated in my own bubble of comfort and silence i think that's amazing honestly seriously I'm overwhelmed with pride in the sense that I'm thankful just to know you for seriously and to hear you talk like this and to hear just all the themes that seem to be connected, this deep craving for authentic, real, genuine relationship, community, conversations with people, the willingness to have a safe space to say, oh, I'm going to use people of color and somebody else say, no, it's BIPOC. And to say, okay, I will do that. Let me, let me think about that. Some people don't even know about that. You know, honestly, I say people of color because I include 
anybody who's people of color. But the reality is some people don't think of indigenous people, much less black people or black people, much less indigenous people. And it's just this learning, this sharing, this, this talking. Clay, you're totally right that we can never eradicate racism. I read that, you know, it's simple when you think about it, but even if we could get rid of racism, nothing stops some conniving, hateful person 400 years from now from coming up with this idea and fooling the world and racism reemerges. It doesn't just go away once and for all if we can just get rid of it. No, it's constant vigilance to oppose inequality and justice. And that's what Lauren, what you're saying, we need to love the people right in front of us. If we're not leading with love, if we're not showing that first, then clearly something is off. And whether that's writing your senators, whether that's using a template, whether that's using Instagram for learning, sure, there's going to be people who think you posted the picture of the letters because you're looking, oh, this was praiseworthy, like we said at the very beginning of the talk. But the truth is, no, people need to see that. That's going to be inspirational. And whether some people misconstrue it or try to throw shade on you and say, you did it for these reasons, we can't worry about them. We can't let them stop the progress or the help or the love that you're sharing, you know? When I hear you for talk like this, you're wiser than people my age, than me, than people older than me. When I think about how the average age or demographic of a senator is a 62-year-old white male. So when I think of people who are in Congress, like you're talking about, Kevin, who are your grandparents? What would they say if they hear you talk about all these things? Are they worried about these same things? I personally don't think so, but they're in charge with steering the ship for this country. And I wish that the four of you and everybody like you, you're just the four happen to be talking to me. There's millions more like you with these ideas, with these hearts, with these views that I wish you would run for office. Like you said, Kevin, I wish you would be the leaders in charge and start making the waves because you guys are incredible. This is amazing. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to end it. I don't, I don't want to end. I want to keep listening. If you had another two minutes, what would you want to share with anybody who's listening? You know, after all that we've talked about, what's on your mind right now? What's the one thing you would want people to know, whether it's about you, your friends, your community, your generation, what would you want to share? What's your two minute stump speech? I think for me, it goes back to the day to day. Like you're going to wake up on a Tuesday morning and you're going to have your mundane routine list of to do's, whether you are a high school student, whether you are a 45 year old mom or dad or whoever you are. And I think it, the most important thing is to ask yourself, like, how, what can I do today that's going to make me go back to sleep, like lay down in my bed at night and be like, okay, wow, this Tuesday was lived. And I think it's showing up for people in meaningful, like relational and significant ways. And it's like, okay, what daily differences can we make as people that are going to make our Tuesdays, our mundane Tuesdays feel lived? And I think that's going to be like the, the key of like defeating loneliness, anxiety and depression and all of these things in our generation and like really showing up for and caring for our brothers and sisters in love. So it's like whether you're writing a letter that day or you're talking to a barista and asking them not just how are you, but like 
what's been the best part of your day. Just figuring out like at the end of your life, like you're going to think back and be like, okay, <laughs> you know, what did I do for other people and how did I connect with people? That's going to be like the, the wealth on your deathbed. So Tuesday will come. <laughs> how are you going to handle it? So right off the bat, I had thought of something kind of similar to that, but it was live your day or live your life. And kind of what I meant by that was push aside the negativity. Like if you could just go through your day and like do what you want to get done and spread positivity. And I'm trying not to sound cheesy as I try to say this, but, and another thing, you know, everyone's would have to be on the same page with this. So that's kind of the takeaway here. Like not everyone is going to be able to just live their day. And, but if everyone were, you know, robots and being happy and were doing what needed to be done. I mean, there would be happiness and peace and everyone, there would be nothing to fight about, but of course that's not going to work. So I think just the, the major takeaway, and I guess this goes back to self-worth is just focus on yourself. Like that doesn't necessarily mean don't, don't do things to help others. Don't not write to your senators, like still do those things that are going to help the community, but like also focus on yourself and be happy because if you're not happy or you're not fulfilled in life, you don't have the um, emotional or mental capacity to do stuff for others. It's kind of like the, um, like the Maslow's hierarchy. You've got to go through all those basic needs and then, you know, go through the other two tiers before you hit fulfillment. And then I guess once you've achieved fulfillment for yourself, you can help others and hopefully, you know, better the community and foster a, a better interaction with everyone you run into. Yeah. It's hard to pour your cup out and help others when yours is empty. Yeah when there's nothing to pour. Lauren Clay, what would y'all say? So I would say two things. One of them is let your convictions come from yourself. Don't do things or choose to not do things because you feel that that is what everybody else wants you to do. Just plant your flag in the ground and say like, I'm doing this not because of what everybody else wants me to do. I'm doing this because this is what I believe in. And this is my conviction. And I'm not doing this for any gain. I'm doing it for other people. And then my second thing, I guess, would be uh, you don't have to do things by yourself. And you don't have to live life all on your own. You could be the most introverted person on the planet, but you can't do things by yourself. You need other people. You need a community of people, you know, to be with and to live life with because we're not made to do things on our own. We are made for each other. That's the only way we'll live the life that we've been given properly and that we were made for. And in the context of this just reckoning in this movement of racial justice, live life with people that may not be exactly like you, you know, live life with lots of different people, live life with people from different perspectives, be comfortable with other perspectives than your own, you know, just don't create an echo chamber of clones, I guess, of me, just everybody thinks the exact same thing as me and everybody looks the same way as me. You know, we build because we have lots of different people and lots of different attributes, you know, and that's at the end of the day, not what the kingdom of God looks like is just one carbon copy of a person. The kingdom of God is diverse and it is colorful and everybody put together is worth so much more than just one person, one type of person.
Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with that. I think that if the kingdom of heaven looks like diversity, then we should be embracing that on earth. You know, and I think that really starts with understanding who you are as a person and your worth. Um, and I mean that with authority, not just, oh, I'm a good person. You know, I, I think it's deeper than that. I think if I could say anything to anyone is that they're incredibly valued and loved and provided for. I think one of the biggest issues in our society is we have this scarcity mentality all the time. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough likes. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough people in my life, you know, and obviously pursue people, pursue, you know, finances are important to God too. Like I'm not saying not to pursue those things at all. It's just like, what is the cry of your heart? And are you listening to it? And do you understand the authority you have when you listen to it? And when you walk forward, understanding who you are, it really allows other people to embrace who they are. And I really think that when we're ourselves, we give permission to other people to be themselves. And, and we don't have to be afraid to be that person. And there's enough for everyone. Like God didn't create you and be like, mm, you really need more of Christina or more of Clay and you. He's like, no, you need more of Jesus. And I'm here. I got you. I'm right here. Just ask for help, you know? And that comes back to acknowledging need. Um, as people, you never become you know, somebody, you never arrive at identity or purpose. I think we're always searching, gosh, I work in advertising a lot. It's like, oh, what's your purpose in your marketing and advertising? You know, it's like, find your purpose. I'm like, well, how do you find it? Do you ever just find it? I think you live it, you know? And I think you live it from knowing who you are in, in Christ or as a person, you know, if you're not a Christian, like you gotta, you know who you are. And from there, you know, from that presence of knowing who you are, knowing how, who God is, if you're a Christian, like, you can do really beautiful things because you're not living from this pressure to perform or to constantly be achieving in order to be enough and be like, oh, I finally have what I need. Because if we're always living with a mind of scarcity, we're never going to be like, oh man, I have no more needs anymore. No, I think living life is about acknowledging your needs, acknowledging that they're always going to be there, but also being content that God will fill what you need in the moment right there. And then sharing that with other people and loving them because you're a daughter or son of plenty. And I don't know, I've learned so much in quarantine and I feel so much better in my own relationship with God and myself. And sometimes we need some time with ourselves to really understand what's going on. So it's it's been good. So I'm really thankful for this opportunity to just be able to share what's been on. I feel like sometimes I just talk to my dog a lot. <laughs> so I'm really appreciative of this opportunity to speak. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff, for having us. This has been awesome. The pleasure is all mine. The pleasure is all mine. Everything, all of you said, is all the same thing. Christine, you said, live your Tuesday. Kevin, you said, make sure your cup is full. Clay, you said, be around others, but also be free in yourself. Find freedom in yourself. And Lauren, that's what you're saying. I never expected to hear this anxiety, self-worth, achievement that you were talking about. But if we can find freedom in true confidence in our identity and just to be you, to be willing to make a mistake, to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah, we would all be on a path to somewhere good for sure. If y'all know that, y'all are armed with that knowledge, you have those tools in your toolkit. Why is it still so hard to post something of you not looking prepackaged or like you were saying, Christina, to ask a question, to be curious even if somebody is going to be mean or vengeful and say, oh, you're dumb or you should already know this. 
like even knowing that that's in front of you, you're, you still allow it to prevent you. And I don't mean you, I mean the royal you, we, me, I have friends, everything you're describing. I have people with names that I hope they listen to what you said. And they're grown people, like you said, they're 45 year old moms with children who are suffering from these same things. So what is it that still knowing it, we still can't combat it? Why is that? No, I forget that persecution like as a follower of Christ, like he says it will follow. (laughs) I think that I'm afraid to upset people and take so bold a stance as to turn people away. And it's tricky. Like, I feel like almost I can like speak different languages sometimes, go into spaces and then live authentically and talk about like the driving factors behind my life and still like connect and relate and like have a seat at that table of like whatever that is for me whether that's like sorority life at unc or the scholarship or like christian community circles and things like that but yeah i i'm afraid of like someone that i know personally like being like oh i'm going to unfollow you christina i'm not going to talk to you if i see you like out and about I'm going to walk the other way. And when I have like a face that I can think of where I'm like, I know this person's going to be turned off to this message, to this post, and they're going to unfollow me and I'm going to see them again. It's kind of like, I don't know how to do that. That seems wrong. It seems wrong to like rip apart this human connection and relationship. But also I'm called to boldness. I'm called to truth. And if I'm not having any persecution in my life, then it's like, what am I really living for? So I I need to remind myself of that. But I think the hardest thing for me is to see a human connection and relationship torn apart based on something that like I like truly believe so much and I feel like is at my core. I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like we've lost the ability to have deep conversations. And so if you post something opposing on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Nowadays, it's more likely that that human connection gets ripped apart, like you're saying, Christina, rather than working through it, you know, both sides coming together and be like, you know, hey, you posted this. I don't agree with that. But like, let me hear your side. Now it's just, "Mm, nope, you're out. Or like, we're no longer friends. And I think kind of, Jeff, to your original question, like being equipped with what we've just finished talking about, like, why do we still purposely post certain things, you know, making sure we look a good way? Or why do we avoid posting things that we know might deter certain people, I think is maybe convenience. We don't want to have to confront that lost human connection, or we don't want to have to find new friends. You know, if we lose our friends from posting something on social media, it's like, you know, hopefully not all of your friends are that against you that you would lose all your friends, but it's just like, it's kind of a safety net. Okay. I know if I post this or, you know, post what my followers want to see, it'll be easy. I can go on and see them tomorrow and act like nothing is different, but you know, if you deep down think something else or don't agree with them fully and you're just kind of going with the flow to fit in, again, that goes back to self-worth. Like you're, you're doing what's easy to keep your friends around, but you're also doing what you think is the only acceptable perception of you. But it's just maybe because you've pigeonholed yourself with the wrong people or into the wrong group. So that causes us to feel uncomfortable branching out or, you know, being who we really want to be like the vulnerability is really scary you know christina you mentioned it but this being afraid of being misunderstood sort of 
and your intentions being there, but the message not being properly relayed. And then in this kind of, it's so easy for things to fall apart so quickly. And you're like, no, like, that's not my heart. That's not, like, I want you to understand, like, that's not how I feel, but it's just so hard. And some communication can be so messy. And sometimes we try and walk on so many different eggshells that we're just not, we're not even getting the point across properly. We end up saying something we don't even mean that we're trying to say. And it's like this with anything in life. It's like our, we're miscommunicated. There's such a potential for things to just, I said, I mean, I said it already, but fall apart so quickly. And, you know, I, I would hate for someone to misunderstand like my heart and how I feel about something because it was miscommunicated. So then I feel like that's a good enough excuse for a lot of people to be like, well, then I won't say anything at all, which, you know, is a problem and is not great. I think another factor to that is that, like you said, the the fear or the vulnerability, because it's now with the internet and social media, once we've said it, it's out there, even if it's not what we meant. And, you know, if we try to backtrack or try to explain what we meant, I mean, I'm no expert at speaking. So if I type something out and send it, it, you know, likely is not really what I meant, but it's impossible almost to backtrack that. You definitely can't delete it. And if somebody's already read it once, you can't change their mind on you now. Like, you know, oh, I didn't actually mean that. I misspoke. This is really what I said or really what I wanted to say. By that point, they've already made up their mind about you. So it's just, it is easier to just be quiet and be apathetic and save yourself from persecution. Yeah, there's a lot of times, I don't know. I feel like I hide certain things that I'd want to say or be harsher about or be not harsh in like a mean way, but like more honest about certain things and what I feel. But I have that same, like, I don't, I put pressure because it's, it's like, I see the faces, Christina, like what you're talking about. Like, I know I, this happened like a few weeks ago. It was like a week before like the election day or whatever. It wasn't even a political thing I was going to say, but I knew that it would be misconstrued as something else. I already had this idea. I'm like, I already know, but I feel like I need to post this. Like, I feel like in my heart, like I should. I was so broken over what was happening and people saying things that weren't true, quite frankly. And that was like, I get so under my skin about that. And then I'm like, you know, should I just say nothing at all? Is it better to just let the things going on happen? You know, or should I say this isn't okay? And so I did. And I got two DMs back that were exactly the people I thought would respond. And they did. You know, and it's frustrating. But the, I always have to remind myself, at the end of the day, if somebody breaks up with me, in a sense, on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, because of something that I said, like one thing, then we were really never friends to begin with. Because if you're going to unfollow me because of something like that, then we don't have a relationship because real relationships don't abandon you when you actually like love the person no matter what they believe. Like that's the idea of unconditional love. People like preach it all the time and then they're like, oh wait, except unless you say this one thing, then it's like unfollow. And I'm like, what? I don't understand. So anyway, I get that. And that happened to me, but I lived and we're okay. But it is really scary in the moment because you can see that face. So I get it. They just got to do it anyway sometimes. I think in order for a conversation to be constructive, both parties kind of have to be in this space of like, all right, we're level. This might escalate to combative, but like we're going to enter on a level ground and like try to have respect. And so in these moments, though, of 
like everybody looking towards this, like over the summer when my Instagram feed was nothing but resources on like how to be anti-racist and fight for racial justice and reconciliation. I think we have to like seize those moments to have those conversations, especially with people that it's harder because it's the norm to just, you know, have our life as it normally is. But like in those moments of like pause or like, wow, everybody is focusing on one thing. It's like you have to seize those (laughs) for people that you see every day. And you're like, oh, why would I have this conversation with them? What's the point? You all have been phenomenal. I can't say thanks enough. I can't wait to do this again. Thank you for being willing to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Well, that was my honest conversation with Generation Z. I remember being blown away after talking to them almost two months ago, and I still find myself just in amazement at what they had to say. Because these are just feelings and thoughts and ideas I was not even aware of when I was in my early 20s. And honestly, some of it involves things that are still hard for me to put into words sometimes. One thing is for sure, I'm definitely optimistic when it comes to the future. And I just feel like not only is there so much room for advancement and progress, but that it's actually possible and foreseeable. What about you? Did anything resonate with you after hearing them describe their reactions to the death of George Floyd? Can you relate to anything they said when it comes to having difficult conversations with friends and family over things like racism and politics? As always, I really would love to hear from you, so let me know either by posting a comment on the blog at chooseawareness.org, or you can email me at awarenessisachoice at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow at choose to be aware on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to catch all the posts on social media in between the blog posts. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, I hope you'll keep choosing to be aware.